Let's turn together in God's Word, Revelation chapter 16. Last week, Dave brought us through Revelation 15 and the introduction to what we're going to look at this morning. And, and there we saw this amazing picture of God seated on His throne. The majesty of God on that sea of glass, what looked like glass, mingled with fire. And surrounded by those who were worshipping Him on their harps and singing with loud voices before God. You see the picture in your mind's eye. Imagine it. And a question was asked, and it was a rhetorical question, as they sang their song of praise. And I'll read that to you from Revelation 15, verse 3. They sang, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Who will not worship you? Today we're going to find out that there are those who do not worship the Lord and what He does about that. Let's read this passage together, Revelation chapter 16. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple calling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth. And harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. And that's as far as we'll read today. Michael will take us through the next two bowls next week. So I'd encourage you to come along to that service. Well, after this glorious picture of God on His throne, and that throne on the sea of glass and of fire, we're reminded that God is a God who is just. God is, a, God is a God who is holy and that we are to fear Him and glorify Him. And that word fear is a good fear. It's a fear of reverence. It's recognizing who He is. He's Almighty God. We are just. 
human beings, puny creatures before His throne. We are His creations. He is the Creator. And yet we, we read in this passage today that there are some who will not glorify God. And God can't just leave it at that. He can't just turn a blind eye. Why? He's a holy God. He's a just God. And yes, He's a God of love. But He is holy. He is just. And so He has to keep His love and His justice in perfect balance. God isn't imbalanced at all in any sphere. He is the perfectly loving but just God. So what will He do with these people? Now, is anyone who's read the book The Shack? Anyone? Quite a few people have read the book The Shack. You might even have seen the movie if you haven't read the book The Shack. And um, it's a bestseller. However, it's one of the most dangerous books around. Why? Because people don't recognize the error that's being taught. And no, I don't see monsters behind every bush and something wrong behind everything. It's not that. But we have to read with discernment. There's a really, really great critique by a friend of the author who wrote The Shack. It's called The Shack Burnt Down. And it critiques why this man wrote this book. What he was going through. And something comes out, quite a few things come out in The Shack that are really, really worrying. So, if you haven't read the book, I'll, I'm not going to tell you this, the whole story, but a man wrote this book in response to a traumatic experience he's had in life and how he worked through that. He's a believer. But he describes God the Father as a black woman and she is all loving. Love is everything. Love overcomes all at all costs. That's what she proclaims. And the son is portrayed as this hippie-like carpenter who lives near the beach carving surfboards. Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is portrayed as this weird Asian girl who keeps popping up and then disappearing with weird ideas. But what this God, who is not a trinity but three persons, that's it. What this God proclaims is that love conquers everything. And what it proclaims is what we call in theology circles universalism. And specifically, and I'll explain this, universal restoration. Now what is that? Basically it's, it's the following teaching. Yes, while you're on this earth, you must come to Jesus Christ and be saved. So He is where you will find salvation. If you haven't come to Jesus Christ and be saved while you live on this earth, then after death, you will experience God's wrath and anger. But it will only be for a while. Because, because of God's love, He will work on you and work on you while He is punishing you so that you come to see why you didn't love Him and then in the end you will come to love Him and then you will go to heaven. And that's not all. Satan, 
who hates God will come to realize his error. And through the love of God, he too will be converted and he will go to heaven. And so there is no hell. Do you see the reasoning? It's called universalism. Everyone will get to heaven. Now that's the blatant untruth. And so that book is a really dangerous book to read, even though it seems all exciting when we read it. And some people say, oh, come on, Calvin, you're seeing things behind everything. It's not. It's dangerous. Because, I'll tell you why, people don't know their theology today. They don't read God's Word anymore. And so they don't know what's right. And so when they read things like that, that makes their theology. That's what they build their beliefs on. Enough said about that for now. But we're going to see how this can't be true in the light of this passage today. You see, this passage teaches that man has this earthly life only to come to God and find mercy. And when his or her life ends in this life, they will reap the consequences before a holy God who can't look past their sin. And the truth is that every single person on this earth will have an opportunity to come to God and somehow to be saved, if they want to be saved. And yes, I know about election, and God saves who He will save. But at the same time, there's a parallel truth that says, if you want to be saved, all you need to do is come to Jesus Christ and bow your knee. And if you hear God's word, then come to Him. It's a parallel truth. My processor can't bring those two together. And so every single person that lives this life on this earth has to come to God in repentance by the time their life ends. Otherwise they will face the consequences of where they have chosen to be in relation to God. In relationship with Him as in a loving God or as in a relationship of He is my judge. They will choose where they will be. And God, because He's a holy God, He will bring that justice to bear. Hebrews 9 verse 27 says that it is appointed for man to die once and then after that comes judgment. And there are many other verses in Scripture you can look at. So there is no opportunity after death to come to life. And yes, the Catholic Church teaches that you can pay penance and then you can be freed and you go to heaven. That is an untruth, according to God's word. Don't believe it. So let's look at some more background here before we get to the actual text. You need to know a little bit about the bowls as well. So I've got a fairly lengthy introduction this morning. And then the passage will go quite a lot faster. So what's this about pouring out of bowls that these angels who come from the temple bring? Well, there's Old Testament significance and you'll find one of the passages in Leviticus chapter 4, verse 6 to 7 and I want to read that for you. This is what it's based on. Leviticus chapter 4, verse 6 to 7. And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle part of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of fragrant incense before the Lord that is in the tent of meeting and all the rest of the blood of the bull he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offering that is at the entrance 
of the tent of meeting. Now there's more verses, but that's the base one we're going to um, work from. So, this blood that was taken, when a bull or an animal was killed, the blood would be gathered in a bowl. And it was not a small bowl necessarily, it was quite a basin. Alright? And the priest would dip his finger in the bowl. And then he would sprinkle blood in front of the veil that separated the people from the Holy of Holies. He would sprinkle that to signify what? That God would forgive their sin. And then he would take some of the blood and he would put it on the horns of the altar of incense. What is the altar of incense? You should be professionals at this already. The altar of incense was where the prayers of the saints were offered up to God. And so the blood being put on that altar was saying, God will hear your prayers. And then the rest of the blood was poured out at the base of that altar. And why was that poured out there? It was poured out there to sanctify that tabernacle from the defilement of sin. You get the picture? And so when these angels come and they pour out bowls, it's not just because it's a picture of bowls, there's significance here. In eternity, these angels bring and saints will be sanctified, prayers will be heard, but those who are unjust, God will clear and judge so that sin is purged and He will do that through His judgment. Do you see the significance of bowls? Alright. And then lastly, and I put this diagram up as well for you, the bowls represent the last of the cycles of woe, of the woe visions. And the woe is just the judgments of God against people that He brings against unbelievers through this age and to the day of judgment. And they portray the wrath of God. And we'll see in this instance as we go through the bowls, they portray the wrath of God in a more intense way. And yes, we're going to have a little sentence that describes what God is doing through the bowls, but we're going to see that we move closer to that day of judgment now. And some of the detail becomes much, much more intense. And then it leads to the final judgment when we cover the seventh bowl. So let's look at what God does here. These are not just warnings, by the way. These are not just warnings. They are actual judgments which are happening now to sinners. Let's look at this, these pictures that we get now. Now, the secret to understanding the bowls is, see the picture. Don't get caught up in the details. See the picture. And that's why you'll see it's just a short little description. See the picture. See the horror of the picture. And then you'll get what God is saying here. So, let's look at this. And while you're seeing the picture, think plagues of Egypt. Alright? Those two are linked now. Because God is using these as an illustration through this um, message through the Apostle John. So, the first bowl. Verse 2. The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. Where does this come from? Come on. Exodus. Remember, one of the plagues that God brought on the Egyptians and all those who wouldn't believe. The sixth plague boils on the people. Well, here God uses this picture again to warn that he will bring his judgment on those who will not believe. And note here that it affects people only. Nature isn't affected here. 
people will be affected by God's judgment. Notice who it affects. Those who bear the beast's mark. We've seen that already. Who's that? Those who do not believe. Those who have turned their backs on God. Those who bear the number of the beast on them. The characteristics of Satan. Those who worship his idol. Those who are idol worshippers, who do not worship the true God. Those are the ones who are affected by this first bowl. Second bowl, and that's all I'm going to say on it. That's all scripture says. Second bowl. The sea became like a dead man's blood. Now, Marty's not here, he could tell us about that, but when people die, their blood coagulates, right? So, here's a picture of the sea becoming like a dead man's blood. Terrible. And now, creation is also affected by man's sin. No life was in this because all sea creatures died and all the plants in the sea died. And that means man would start to die because if man got his food from the sea, he would be affected. But see the picture. See this terrible sea that is blood that is starting to coagulate. Water turned to blood. What does that refer to? Again, Egypt, remember, Moses, on the river Nile, he held out his staff and the river turned to blood and all the fish in the Nile died and the stink stank in Egypt. If you know anything about Egypt, it's a hot country. Leave a fish in a hot place and see what happens. See the picture in your mind's eye. Smell the picture. That's what the idea is here. Third bowl, verse 4. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water. Note where it falls now. Into the rivers and the springs of water and they became blood. So what is God affecting here now? He's affecting the springs of life. Everything that gives sustenance to mankind. The rivers and the springs have become blood and people are forced to drink blood. What's that referring to? We'll come to that now in that refrain that comes from the um, angel in charge of the waters. People are forced to drink blood. A reference to Isaiah's prophecy. Isaiah chapter 49 verse 26. Isaiah 49 verse 26. Listen to this. And it's a terrible picture. And if you're not a believer, it does make sense. It's still terrible. But listen to it. And I will make your oppressors eat their own flesh, and they shall be drunk with their own blood as with wine. Then all flesh shall know that I am the Lord your Saviour and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. You see this terrible picture put before us? If we do not believe in Jesus Christ. And what's the justification for God doing this? Why can He do this? Well, the angel spells it out for us. The angel who's over the waters. Look at what he says. He says, Just are you, O Holy One. There's the key, and I'll come back to it now. Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was. For you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. This is the angel speaking. So what does God... Why can God do this? Because He's a righteous God. Now, when it speaks about man being righteous, what does that mean? 
We are made right before God, right? It's a simple little thing to remember. Righteousness made right before God. But God, He is righteous too. What does that mean? He's a righteous God. It is God gives a right judgment on all people after extending to them His mercy and salvation. Do you see that? He's righteous because He extends His mercy and His judgment and then if they won't hear, He then brings in His judgment. He's righteous to do that. And also, He's the one who is and the, and the one who was. The one who is immortal. And then the key phrase, He is the holy God of Israel. So if God is holy, how can He endure sin before Him? And that's why He's got to deal with sinners. He can't just excuse them. Who's affected here? Unrighteous people are affected. They receive their just deserts. Why? Because they persecuted the saints of God. And they persecuted the prophets who came before them. And so when John's hearers heard this, they would have known, our prayers will be answered. God will do what's just. We have prayed that God will protect. But where He has allowed us to suffer, He will be just towards our persecutors. And where is this being said? It's being witnessed by the golden altar before God. Because the golden altar is personified here. And the golden altar also speaks up and says, Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. And there we have two or more witnesses in the Jewish mindset. Affirming that God will act with justice. And then we come to the fourth bowl, verses 8 to 9. Are you tracking with me? The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. Now previously when we've looked at punishment, when God judges, what has he done to the sun? Anyone help me? He's darkened it. This time, it's a difference. He intensifies the heat of the sun. He turns it into fierce heat and people are scorched by the heat of the sun. See the picture in your mind's eye. That's what it's about. When God brings His judgment, it is intensified on men. It scorches men with fire. Now it's not life-giving sun, but a death-bringing sun. Do you see the difference? And what is people's reaction? And this is the most horrific. And if you can see this, you'll see why sin is such an awful thing. What do people do when God punishes them and, and the punishment that's come on them is deserved? What do they do? They defy Him. They blaspheme Him. They shake their fists at God. The very one who has the power to stop these plagues. They're still rebellious in God's face. They do not repent and glorify God, says our text. You see, their true nature is revealed. Do you see the horrific nature of sin? Hell is not going to be filled one day with people who've got remorse for sin. They're not going to be feel sorry, oh I did the wrong thing, I should have listened. Hell will be filled with sinners who are cursing the name of God because that's the nature of sin. They're going to become like their master. And their master's not going to be converted. Their master is going to cry out against God. And he's going to be tormented in hell. 
together with those who follow him. That's the picture Scripture paints for us. Whether society accepts this or not, I think of the recent debate with Israel for love. People don't accept this. They don't want to hear this message. But God says so. And so they shouldn't have the argument with that man. They should have it with God. But people won't have that argument with God because some of them won't even read His Word. Do you see the nature of evil? They don't want to hear. And yet, as believers, and I'm diverting a bit now, we need to be there proclaiming the mercy of God at the same time. And that's what Israel did do. But they misquoted Him. Or they only quoted a part of what He said. And now He's having to suffer for that. And what is the gay agenda doing, or the LBGT gay agenda? They are pushing these things, because they've got an agenda that they want to use this as an example. There's a different agenda at play here. And who's behind that? Satan himself. Because who is it against? God. You see, it's not hard to understand. But people won't. Why? And this is where I feel sorry for the world. They can't. They can't see it. Why? Their eyes have been darkened. Until they come to the Son of God and receive His mercy. Then they will see the error of their ways, says Scripture. And so we need to take the Gospel out to people. We aren't to come with fingers waving in there saying, Thou shalt go to hell! And I've actually experienced that here in Wanganui. We need to always be saying, Yes, God says that is the punishment for sin, but He says to you today, Come to me and be saved. Bow the knee to me and you will experience my mercy. That's the message of the Gospel. Judgment, mercy, always together. You see, Revelation paints a beautiful picture for believers and it's also about the Son. Revelation chapter 7, verse 16. This is what it says. The Son will not smite, nor the heat destroy those who have been sealed by God. Thank you Lord for that verse too. And so we get to the fifth bowl. Verses 10 to 11. This is what it says. The fifth angel poured out his bowl. Look at where he pours out his bowl. On the throne of the beast. Satan might think no one can touch him. But here God judges Satan himself. And its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. But they did not repent of their deeds. Do you see the darkness? Have you ever been in extreme darkness? I've been down in a mine once, underground, twice actually, once in Johannesburg, 13 miles down underground, I can't remember, it's the one in Johannesburg, it's the deepest one in the world. But the other one is in Australia, in Bendigo. And I went underground and what they did is they switched off the lights. I tell you, that is a terrible darkness. Because people are standing right next to you, you can't see, you can't see anything. The darkness was right here. And it's as if it's a physical thing. It feels as if it's dark around you. And we have to keep very quiet. So you couldn't hear anyone. It was terrible. Scripture portrays hell like that. Jesus speaks about this. He says, when people do not believe, they will be cast into the outer darkness where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the darkness that's portrayed in when this bowl is poured out. It's a physical darkness. It's not going to be a joke. People aren't going to sit there cracking jokes in the dark. 
it's going to be a physical separation from God and everyone else around them. There are going to be no parties with my mates in heaven. It's going to be a physical separation from each other with a tangible darkness. It's going to be hell. That's what he's trying to speak about in this picture. And who's going to bring this about? The God of heaven. The one that these people who God has brought under this extreme agony, those same people who are blaspheming this God, who do not repent. What are we seeing here a picture of? Total depravity. Now, if you're not a believer here today, that is a picture that God paints of where you're at. That is what will happen to those who do not have a relationship with God. And so as a minister here in this church today, and as the one who's bringing this message to you, I plead to you, with you, in the name of Jesus Christ, come to Him and be saved before you have to experience this reality, whether you acknowledge it or not, whether society acknowledges it or not. This is the reality God gives to us and says it will happen. And so far in man's history, everything else has come about. Why will this not come about? God has been true to His Word. He will remain true to His Word. He is the unchanging one. We need to hear His Word and come to Him. So do you see this picture? Total, inescapable and overwhelming judgment. We see a righteous, a holy and almighty God, a just God, who will bring that judgment about. He is in control of the whole situation. Nothing is outside of His control, even in His judgment. And we see here two defiant, totally depraved people who will loathe and despise God even while experiencing His judgment, the judgment they deserve. There will be no universal restoration when Christ comes. There will be judgment. What do we do with this? Very shortly, three things. First is this. What a God is our God? As believers here today, what a God is your God? He's a holy God. He's an omnipotent God, all-powerful. He's a God covered in splendor. He's an awesome God. He's there with His Son in heaven. His Son seated at the right hand of His Father. And He is the one who will bring this judgment about. He's a just God. He's an all-knowing God. He will only do what's right. What an awesome God is the God we serve. Secondly, a challenge for us. Think of those times when things go wrong in your life. What do we do? Very quickly, as believers, sometimes we start saying, why did God allow this to come on me? I often hear it in unbelieving circles when you have these big catastrophes happening. Why would a loving God allow these things to happen? That's a direct questioning of God. But as believers, sometimes there's even a little suppressed bitterness. Lord, I've been trying hard. I've been serving you my whole life. Why do you allow this to happen? 
Yes, we can ask a question as a child of God, but watch out that it doesn't have a tinge of bitterness to it. Because when it starts getting that tinge of bitterness, that means our fist is starting to raise up against God. And what are we doing is we're getting close to blasphemy. And we're starting to take away from God the honour due to Him for being an all-knowing God and an all-powerful one. The one who has us in His hands. Let's trust Him. And then thirdly, I want to put to you this morning, which side of God will you experience? When Jesus comes again, which side of God will you experience? Will you experience His mercy? Will you experience the mercy of the Son of God when you stand before Him and He says to His Father, My Father, this one belongs to me. I paid my blood for their sin. Let them come into your heaven. And God will say to us, Enter into my heaven on the basis of what my Son has said. His testimony sets you free. Will you experience His mercy? Or will you experience God's judgment? And my appeal to you this morning is deal with that sin in your life before that sin deals with you under God's hands. Allow God to deal with that sin in your life. Bow your knee to Him while you have time. Otherwise that sin will deal with you under God's hand. And you will be judged for it. Experience the mercy of God. Don't turn your back on Him. I want to put some verses as we close this morning from Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 26 to 29. Look at this. Believers and unbelievers. We can learn from this. Dear friends, If we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth. Now, what have we been doing today? We've been looking at God's truth. And I've tried to explain it. And as we, you've heard God's truth now, there's two options here. You can either put yourself underneath it and listen to it or turn your back on it. That's what it's speaking about here. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, There is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. Be warned. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume His enemies. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses in the Old Testament. Just think how much worse The punishment will be for those, here it is, who have trampled on the Son of God and treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy, as we looked at this morning, as if it were common and unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. You and I have heard the truth this morning from God's word. Would we trample on the Son of God? Would you treat the blood of the covenant as if it were common and unholy? Would you insult and disdain the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us by turning your back on this same God who brings you this good news that He can save? Let's allow the Holy Spirit to do what He will do among us.
Let's allow Him to glorify God through our obedience. Amen.